0: Welcome, everybody. Um, today,
1: we're very pleased to have Amanda Farnsworth, who's the editor of visual journalism at the BBC. For those of you who were taking copious notes, and I hope you all were at Nick Newman's um, seminar the other day, if you remembered it, he said it was the second wave of uh, uh, disruption, and there were three elements to it. Mobile, me social, and visual. <laughs> uh, last week we had the uh, social, uh, to a certain extent, with Huffington Post, and uh, this week we've got the visual, so it's very, very good timing. Just before Amanda starts, she's had a very illustrious career at the BBC, and like many people at the BBC, hasn't had much experience outside of the BBC, but uh, that's a fate that befalls a lot of them. Um, she was uh, previously the project executive for BBC London 2012 which was a huge task which was widely regarded to be uh, very successful she was the editor of BBC TV's one and six o'clock news she was the deputy editor of Newsnight and she's also been the Washington bureau chief so you are very lucky I'm sure she'll happy to take questions after her talk on anything wider than uh, the subject of her talk So as normal, she will hold forth for about 30 minutes, and then as normal, questions and answers. And she's very kindly said that it's on the record. You're not going to say anything controversial, or if she does, she'll ask you... uh,
0: Strike that, (laughs) as they say in American (laughs) American movies. So Amanda, without
1: any more ado, over to you. We're very keen to hear what you say.
0: Thanks very much for having me. Um, Dominic and I, my lovely assistant... I've had a few little issues with the technology this morning, and it's always like that when I, when I, whenever I do a presentation at the BBC, so I'm feeling very at home. Uh, but I think we've got... We'll, I've managed to show you everything. i will just be a little bit clunky dropping in and out of PowerPoint. Anyway, uh, do follow me on Twitter if you're interested in visual journalism. I tweet all our best visual journalism. Every day. Um, when I was editor of the Six O'Clock News, for example, or bureau chief in Washington, and I used to go to a dinner party or something, people would say, What do you do? And I'd say, Oh, I'm editor of the Six O'Clock News. And everybody always knew immediately what I did. Now, when everyone asks me, and I say, Oh, I'm the editor of visual journalism, and there's this sort of blank kind of look <laughs> yeah. comes over, and what's that then? Mm. Yeah. So, I came up with this definition, which, of course, like all definitions, is fairly meaningless but let me try and put a little bit of uh, uh, flesh on the bones as we go through this presentation, but also to explain what visual journalism is at the BBC. Outside the BBC visual journalism is very often seen as a sort of web-only thing. It's really all the most visual things that you see on the web, particularly interactive graphics, multimedia presentations, the ways that you do stories, that sort of thing. Um, and at the BBC it does mean that but it means something more than that Um, I'm in charge not only of the um, web uh, teams that produce those multimedia products and uh, interactive graphics uh, on the web but I'm also in charge of all the television designers and soon the uh, picture editors the TV picture editors who uh, work for BBC News and uh, that means I bring those teams together and see what we can do at that interface where TV meets the web. And a lot of my time is spent thinking, how can we use those things that we make on TV on the web? Or how can we use those things that we make on the web on TV? And you'll see some examples of those things as I go through. We've got this thing we call the multimedia newsroom. It's a little diagram there. It's the biggest newsroom in Europe. Um, It has our television teams, uh, our online teams, and also our radio teams in it. But excepting for my area, they still very much work in in their silos. The communication across teams is better. But the next phase of where we're taking BBC News is to make all our teams work across platforms in a much more meaningful way than they do now. But I want to say before I really get going, there's one thing um, that in this world of change that we live in, uh, it's a very complex uh, picture and it's very difficult sometimes to navigate. But the BBC will always remain one of the most uh, trusted news organisations in the world, I believe. And it will always remain true to itself and true to its journalistic values. And one of the most important journalistic values that the BBC has is not getting too overexcited. So, just a little aside, I don't want you to, to, to think in any way that even though the world may be changing digitally and everything else, that we don't remain true to us, our, our real selves. So moving on i think the visual journalism can really answer three really key what we call audience challenges for the bbc so our audience expects a lot from the bbc and what we do and quite rightly everybody pays a license fee for our material so it's important that everybody can access it and and, and enjoy it but sometimes we're seen um as a a rather old-fashioned Um, uh, uh, what they call these days a a legacy media company Um, and also uh, we like the Huffington Post and like uh, ITV News and like uh, the Times newspaper we all follow a fairly similar uh, journalistic agenda (coughs) Um, and so in that world where you know obviously there's a lot of original journalism at the BBC but we're always going to be all covering the same main stories and the same big events. How can visual journalism help the BBC to stand out? Well, I think it can. I think it's one of the key things that makes us distinctive in that very, very crowded media market. And as a legacy broadcaster, it brings a kind of sense of liveliness and modernity. We look very modern when we do things visually very well. And maybe this is the most important thing. You know, we all say a picture tells a a thousand words. Well, it can really help a good graphic, a good visual, can really help people to understand a story in some ways that a a lot of text can't. So I think those are the three big things that visual journalism really helps the BBC to help its audience. And I'm gonna go through some of those. So distinctiveness. One of the things that we've been doing uh, quite a lot uh, in my team is um, a family of calculators uh, these are some of these are quite light-hearted this one's quite light-hearted um, done in conjunction with a lot of academics I might add so the the science behind it is pretty solid um, but we do some calculators which are quite light-hearted and we do some that are really really important I've got another example later on this one's a more light-hearted one um, and it's we all know the British are totally obsessed with class and so it's so it's uh, it transpired. We got over 7 million hits for this, which is a lot even for the BBC. Um, What you do is you just fill in a bit of simple information. Here we are. I'm very, very poor. I no I'm quite rich oh, I'm quite rich um, do I have any savings I'll say I don't have any savings and then it asked me well you know who are your friends so obviously I know a lot of postmen, uh, quite a few lorry drivers but I don't know anyone else and um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm known for my love of hip-hop um, and uh, I socialize at home and Hey Presto, I'm apparently a member of the traditional working class, but this research showed they put class in a kind of new context uh, and came up with six class classifications instead of the new, the, the old uh, lower, uh, middle, and upper class. Uh, and this was incredibly popular. Why was it incredibly popular? because it was a bit of fun but also because it made a story which is really you could have written a story about this new research into class and said scientists and sociologists have come up with six new classifications and so it would go on have a picture of somebody in an overall and somebody with a stately home and everything else and that would have been fine and a very traditional way of doing it but when you do it in a way that makes it relevant to you suddenly you reach a whole different sort of audience and they love the fact that they can interact and make that kind of news story personal to them. As I say, this one was fun. There are other ones which are much more the news you can use in in extremely serious stories. There's another example of one later on. But doing that kind of thing really marks the BBC out as doing a story in a distinctive way. Um, Also, what we do is make these things available to, obviously that's an online product, we make them available to our television reporters and our television uh, journalists, and in this way they can take them out onto the street and make a piece of television about them. So here is Nick Hyam, um, one of our media correspondents, with the calculator on a tablet, making a piece of television news, which went on the 1, 6 and 10 o'clock news, with the Mm. online product. No one wants to be middle class, (coughs) is what we found from that piece of of journalism. But, you know, why do we do that? Well, obviously, it's better value for money if we're using all our assets across our platforms. But also, look what happens to the numbers online. You see those little peaks? Those were when the 1, 6 and 10 o'clock news went out. And people literally watched and thought, oh, I'll have a go. And you know, when you get that right, you get this lovely virtuous circle where people are uh, being aware of much more of your content across platforms and they can consume it when they want. So here's a few more of the calculators we make. We make one which is about how much fuel do you pay compared with other people. We've made a budget calculator for the last couple of years where when the Chancellor gets up in March and gives us all the great news about tax levels and things like that, you can put in your details and calculate how much better or worse off you are, depending on uh, what he said and what your personal circumstances are. Um, another fun one we did, down there in the, right, in the bottom right-hand corner, um, and that one was actually translated into Russian, because, of course, we've got 27 languages uh, in the World Service of the BBC, and a lot of what we do gets translated into, at minimum, five of those languages, and many more of them sometimes. This one was uh, which Olympic sport are you? Um, And and essentially I ended up being a Chinese diver, and I'm not quite sure how that happened, but maybe I I didn't fill it in properly. Um, But these are the things. um, You you have a calculator, you make it very personally relevant, and at the end you make it very shareable by allowing them to share a key fact. Um, So it might be, I pay this much more money for fuel than the average. It could be, I'm a Chinese diver, which Olympic athlete are you? Or I'm this new social class, what class are you? And that's what really helps drive reach and drive people's interest and keep people coming back. Modernity, that was my second audience challenge. BBC often seems a little bit fuddy-duddy sometimes, quite wrongly, I think, as I will show you now. So here's our science correspondent, David Shookman. He's actually in a big green room a very bright green, lime green room. And um, <laughs> he's there alone, just on his own, and all he can see is this big green room. But when you watch him on the television, it looks like he's on the sea floor, because this is a story about how they want to mine the big sea vents that, that uh, sit on the ocean floors for minerals. Um, and he is very skilled at doing this, and can imagine that there is a, a big mining thing coming behind him and a big vent in front of him and he can gesture and and walk and talk at the same time but actually he's just wandering around in a big green room but when viewers see this they sort of think oh that's a bit witty isn't it didn't know the BBC did that kind of thing so we don't do this all the time but on key stories we do run out our kind of little tricksy virtual reality studio Um, we also use it for much more serious things as well but I think this example shows you that you can take a a correspondent and put them anyway put them on the surface of mars the bottom of the ocean uh, or anywhere you like we we, i remember when the pope was elected we put them in the sistine chapel Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) with with limit limited success in that case but this i think just shows the bbc's doing modern things it's it's up there trying to have a go at using new technology to tell stories Um, We also did this. This is a really award-winning piece of work. We've won a lot of awards for this. I think it's three at the last count. And it's called How to Put a Human on Mars. This was a a partnership with Imperial College who had a project. Um, They said, look, if we were to go to Mars and put a human on Mars, how would we actually do that? Um, what could we, you know, what what are the challenges in terms of the technology? What are the challenges in terms of the psychology of being in a in a spaceship for a very long time, literally going where no man has gone before? And we got together, we got our three D modelers, our journalists, and our web producers, and our cameramen, and we all sat and we uh, mapped out this project with the scientists and then made this kind of multimedia presentation. We also made on television a half-hour documentary and some television news reports. But we made this um, multimedia presentation here. And uh, what it enables you to do, uh, because it's on the web, is to sort of interact with it. You know, this is Mars, and I can have a look at its polar caps and where where it might be, and it floats around in space quite nicely. Um, I get some more information on the mission, and I've got this kind of list of videos at the top, which we made, and this is what we made the documentary for television from, but we've parceled them up here. Um, to to make the the multimedia presentation and give the viewer the chance to just look at the bits they want to look at rather than the, the whole documentary. So we again deployed our virtual reality studio for this particular bit. And these two are actually Imperial College scientists. They're not actors, they're not correspondents. They've never done this before. But they had a whale of a time pretending they were in a spaceship going to Mars. It doesn't really get any better than this. Let's watch a little bit of it. They did terribly well. I'll show you another one. that we, do, uh, we are very high-tech, but also we can be very low-tech too, in the interest of storytelling. So obviously we couldn't go to Mars, um, but we had to find some way of explaining why would you put a human on Mars? And the answer to that is, even if you, you can put robots, and we have put robots and landers and rovers on Mars, but um, a human being has the senses, the intuition, and something extra that no machine will ever have that can just lead to hunches. And that's really why you would put a human on Mars. But obviously we couldn't. So we went to Leicestershire. <laughs> and we went to a quarry. This also is a, a nice man <laughs> from Imperial College, dressed up as a spaceman. So there you go. It's, um, that has won three awards. And I think mainly uh, everybody loved the storytelling and the, um, the way that part of it was the web part of it was TV, but I think above all it was um, a very modern way of doing it. This also is a big new way that we're looking modern to the viewer. We're doing a whole series of um, interactive video experiments at the moment, and I've got to say the jury's out on how well or badly they're they're being done and how, you know, because we learn every time we do something new, Uh, but also there's something new for the audience, quite often the initial reaction is, oh, I'm not quite sure about this. So I'm not saying these are perfect yet at all, but these are our first steps into the interactive video world, where instead of, as I was doing then, clicking in and out of videos and uh, in a web page, I just click on the video, and all the web, all the interactivity of the web, appears within the video in one experience, in one place. Uh, This was one with a company that we uh, did a pilot with called Wirewax. They're a a British startup. They're in London. And uh, as you progress through a video, an interactive tag pops up. You can click on the tag and you can interact. Uh, You may click on the tag and get another video, or you may click on the tag and get a graphic that tells you some information, or you may get a, a lovely digital still of something. But by clicking on the tag, you get more or you can just keep watching the video and not click at all. Um, And that was the first pilot we did last year. The second pilot we've done is with um, some open source uh, code which Mozilla give uh, publicly called Popcorn. Uh, And we did uh, an interactive video just a few months ago on the rise of Islamic State, so-called Islamic State. Um, And again, uh, we did um, a video, this time ourselves, Uh, about uh, how it was founded and why it had managed to to sweep through large swathes of of northern Iraq. Um, And as you watch, um, if you want to, you can interact with various videos um, on on the other side of of the page within the video itself. Um, I'm not going to try and show you those because um, I, I fear the technology may not quite quite manage it. But do look them up. They're actually available on the web. You can just, If you just search BBC News, Rise of Islamic State, you'll find it really easily. Um, and then this is uh, our newest pilot. We've got a, a year's deal across the BBC, not just in BBC News, with a New York startup called Touchcast. And uh, again, this is a, a, a third different interactive video. Um, a correspondent can chat, and as they chat, they sort of say, If you want to know more about something, click on this web page here, and a web page will pop up. You can click on it, the video stops, you can explore that web environment, and then come back to the main video. Again, it doesn't have to be a web page, it could be a Twitter feed, it could be a map, it could be a video, it could be a graphic. But the whole idea really is to experiment with how far the viewer really wants to explore through an interactive video. Or, you know, we may find that this is an idea whose time hasn't quite come. You know, connectivity is so much better than it was, and uh, cost of broadband is much lower than it was five years ago. And those are two reasons why we think we should try. Uh, but we may find that you know we're a little bit ahead of the, uh, ahead of the curve, which isn't somewhere we normally are actually. So I'm quite pleased to even be on the curve. But um, we continue to, to publish probably about two a week. You can look for them on the BBC News website um, and see see what you think. Um, we, we absolutely elicit uh, audience feedback for this to tell us you know what's frustrating or what do you really like, why haven't you clicked more, why did you click on that one not that one, all that sort of thing. So it's quite quite an interactive experience for us with the audience. We also do a bit of our own in-house development. This is something we call Project 50P because it literally cost us 50P. (laughs) Because we found a a very uh, useful little um, app that we uh, augmented with some extra code and it enabled us to basically do tablet-driven graphics. So uh, this is a correspondent holding a tablet in the studio and all the graphics that happen behind (coughs) them Uh, actually are driven by the correspondent. Normally those graphics would be driven from the gallery where uh, the director and the producer and the editor would be. But in this case, the correspondent in the studio takes control and can go at their own pace. So they're not kind of looking to see, has it happened? They know it's happened because they've done it themselves. That's the theory. It's very scary for directors and editors in the gallery to give the correspondent (laughs) all the control. But they're very well behaved. (laughs) Um, Understanding, and maybe this is the first one. It should have been the most important one. Uh, As I said, a picture tells a thousand words. All you really need to know about this is there's been a very sharp fall in the number of young people wanting to become police officers. And the dark area uh, is the biggest number uh, of, of, of sharpest fall, and the paler is the least sharpest fall. So um, if I was to enlarge that, and you'd be able to read the little counties, you'd know that if you want to be a burglar and be chased after by sort of slightly overweight 60-year-old policemen, you should go to Cleveland. Or possibly West Wales. Those are the two best places to be a burglar. Um, But really, you can get that very, very quickly just by looking at it and understanding it. And I think that's, um, for data-driven graphics in particular, that's the real key. Um, We also do a lot of branding to make sure... It's another visual signifier to tell the viewer you're in the right place. So this happens to be uh, the page from when Baroness Thatcher's... Funeral took place after she died. And um, that same branding that you can see in that strip across the top with the picture of, of Lady Thatcher uh, was the same branding that we used on the television. So when we were telling people who are watching the television, go and look at the full coverage online, when you land on a page, you know you're in the right place. That's uh, just a little thing that helps understanding, helps people to know where they are on the web, which can sometimes be really confusing. And of course, these days, we don't just design for desktop. We design and produce products, everything, for mobile, tablet, desktop, and in our case, TV. Uh, And if you think about it, um, when you say mobile, there's Android phones and iOS phones, and there are when you say tablet, there are big tablets and small tablets and mid-sized tablets. Uh, there's an awful lot of devices, and because we are license fee funded and, and public service, we try and make our products work across as many different devices and platforms as possible. It's not always possible. Every week, pretty much, there's some new version. Uh, of some browser or some device coming out but that is our ambition is to make as make our material available as much as possible but you can tell you can just see how much <coughs> extra time it takes to make sure it works on so many different platforms and devices so it's quite a quite a time consuming thing just to make it work across uh, all these different devices so, a word or two about data, which is one of the big sort of buzzwords. A lot of talk these days about big data. Well, we, we do a lot of data journalism at the BBC. Again, we've won uh, three awards this year for our data journalism. Um, and this is the sort of simplest, most common kind of data journalism that we do. Um, they are essentially maps, whether it's maps of the UK or maps of the world, where we get big data sets... And we turn them into visualizations that are much easily understandable and make it easy for the the, uh, viewer to interrogate them. So in this case we're showing, um, this was a partnership with uh, an organization called Transparency International that collects details about bribery across the world essentially every year and, and corruption. And we uh, took that data and turned it into an interactive map where you could see where, where, the, where you have to pay the biggest bribes and where you have to pay bribes most often. And you could put in a country or click on a country and immediately learn uh, the details about that country and see how it fits into the sort of global picture. That kind of thing we do all the time. Um, we do that sort of thing particularly with um, school league tables, um, marginal seats and elections you know mapping big data sets onto maps and making those maps interactive and easy to interrogate for the user if you saw the spreadsheets that contain the data that go behind these sorts of things they are incomprehensible and thousands of lines of data long uh, and no person could really ever a normal person could make sense of them so it's about bringing um, uh, those big data sets and making them comprehensible to a wide number of people. Um, Just some principles when you're dealing with data. Um, Like any bit of journalism, you better better check your data out. Is it good? Is it reliable? Is it solid? Um, And the key thing for me is don't assume, because you put two sets of data together, that the apparent link that comes from that is in fact true. Test that journalistically as well. It's quite often the case that you could draw uh, an inference from big- bringing data sets together, that isn't right. Um, and uh, that's something you have to guard against. This is another of our um, sort of calculators. It's a postcode search. I'll go into this one because I think it um, kind of tells you exactly what the BBC is about in terms of its journalism and on data journalism. Um, we wanted, to, uh, last winter, we did this project. Again, it was a cross-platform, multimedia. Um, and it was called NHS Winter. And what it allowed us to do was um, every user could put in their postcode, I'm putting in mine, um, and find out how their local hospital's accident and emergency uh, department was, was rating. There are, there are strict targets for each hospital about how many hours you wait before you're treated, how many hours you're waiting in a hospital, um, whether there's winter vomiting virus at your hospital, all sorts of targets and data are collected, but very rarely seen by the audience and very rarely seen by the people who might actually want to know, should I go to this hospital or that? Because there's much more choice in where you can get treatment in the National Health Service these days. So what you can do, you can see my hospital, it's not that great, is it? <laughs> so it's it's not. So it's, uh, that's where it is. Um, and uh, 91.7% of patients were seen uh, within four hours, so missing the government's target, but better than some other hospitals. Um, We found that's how many people that week were at the accident and emergency, and nearly 2,500. They had over 1,000 emergency admissions, and then just comparing with the average. That was a really popular and really useful Bit of public service journalism, taking all that data which you could find on government websites, but bringing them together, putting them in such a form that all you have to do is put in your postcode, and then you get all the information that you want about where what your hospital is is doing and how it's performing. Uh, And that's the sort of thing that the BBC does all the time. And we're working on a new one for this year. Um, called the care calculator where for the first time you'll be able to put in a few details that we ask you for and be able to see how much um, residential care for you or your mother or your grandmother might cost you over the years and no one has ever done that before um, and I think it will be the most important public service thing we do this year and uh, we've been working very closely with lots of experts in the field to make sure we get the methodology and the editorial absolutely rock solid and we hope to publish it in about a month's time. So um, I think that will really help people who are quite scared by the idea of not knowing how much money they might have to um, spend on care for their loved ones um, over the years. There are lots of other people doing data journalism and doing it really well. My personal favourite, and this won a big award in America a couple of years ago, was by USA Today, which is not necessarily known as one of the highest-brow papers in the USA, I guess. The New York Times and Washington Post would be considered more high-brow, but it's a really good newspaper, and they did a fantastic bit of data journalism where they took the locations of all the primary schools in America. And cross-fertilise uh, them, so to speak, cross-reference them with all the um, air pollution measures being taken by the environment agency out there. And so, essentially, again, you can put in your postcode and find that little Johnny is going to school somewhere where he can hardly breathe. Which you may have known from from personal experience, but it really was news you can use. And again, these sorts of bringing data sets together and telling new stories and finding out new things and making the user empowered, really, uh, is part of what we want to do. And mobile is becoming now probably more important than desktop. Back in 2013, mobile overtook PC as the source of, you know, how people were accessing our journalism was through their mobiles rather than through their desktops, just at weekends in 2013. We now find every day that happens. Essentially, what we're finding, because again, you know, mobile phones have got so much better, and it costs you less to to access stuff on your mobile. Commuting time, so early in the morning, seven to nine. Uh, commuting time in the afternoon, five to seven, and then um, at weekends, most traffic, more traffic comes via mobile than from desktop. Um, tablets still quite small. I'm sure you, anyone who went to Nick Newman's um, lecture, will know all these figures. But tablets still, you know, ten, fifteen percent. Um, and mostly, late at night, uh, people in bed watching a movie while their partner's asleep. But there are earphones on, I think. I mean, or me watching 10 plot news. <laughs> um, so anyway, because of that real move to mobile, um, earlier this year we decided we had to start to make things just for mobile, um, or primarily for mobile. And thinking about things that would be very social and shareable, tweet, people would want to share on Facebook and tweet. And so we invented something called BBC Go Figure, which we post not on a BBC Go figure account, but on our major news accounts, so BBC World News and BBC News UK. Um, And these are little daily infographics. Some of them are designed, and some of them are much simpler, just with a photo and some text and different colours. And we post those uh, uh, in eight languages, as as well as English, every day. And um, we find that people share them in really big numbers, thousands of people sharing these all the time and um, they also tend to click on, we always put a link to the main story that these go, these infographics are about, um, we put a link back to the main story and we find that they click back to the main story far more than if we just put a normal photograph, so what I mean is if you see the story about the uh, koala if we just put a, that lovely photo of a koala and posted that on Facebook and put the link to the story about the koalas, the big article about the koalas, more people will click on this and look at the article than if it didn't have the text and the slightly sort of graphical presentation. I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I've tried it on lots of different things now in like quotes and various other graphics, and, and it's something about the graphic make, make people want to find out more about the story. More to come, I expect. Um, and then there are cats. There are always cats on the internet, and we all know, don't we, that cats rule the internet. So I thought we'd better do some cats. So there's a lovely um, BBC Two programme called Horizon. It's very, very highbrow normally, but they also thought they'd better do something about cats. Luckily, the editor and I used to work on Newsnight together, and he said, Should we do something together about cats? I love cats. So we did their website for them. And obviously it was huge fun. Uh, they, all, they basically went to a um, little town. It actually was a village outside Guildford in Surrey. And they put uh, GPS trackers on about 50 local cats who lived in the village. And they put cat cams on about 10 cats. And these are the cats uh, along the top there. Beautiful, drawn... Uh, pictures by one of our designers of each cat um, I'm going to launch this page and what we decided to do was map the journeys with the GPS data so we took the data from their collars and we could map all the journeys of the various cats so if I click on a cat it will show me where Phoebe goes <laughs> um, let's see where Ginger goes He's, he roamed quite widely, I think, Ginger. So um, there was a lot of video because they were making a television documentary, so we decided to also, apart from mapping the GPS data to and giving a little you know, potted history of uh, the cat, that we would um, also put a little bit of the cat cam video for each cat that we featured. So yeah, we do all that public service stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but we also do. Have a bit of fun, please. <laughs> Thank you very much.